The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. After the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the sepulchre. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat upon it. His appearance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. Lo, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Hail. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. The Gospel of the Lord. The Lord is risen. Alleluia. Alleluia. So now we step out of the darkness, if you will, of that part of the triduum of the Lord's death and his passion and his suffering, and we step now into the light the beautiful joy of the resurrection. The readings, although it is long and extended, it's very profound and powerful as we then recount again all of salvation history. And so if we remember the first reading, we begin with God's creation, that beautiful free act of God by which out of no necessity on his part, but out of pure love, a love which pours out of him, he then creates. And he creates something that is good. And he looks out on his creation and he sees that it is good. And then one of his creatures that he creates in an abuse of free will stains the goodness of God's creation through sin. So then we move into the second reading and you have God's already beginning then his work of restoration by means of faith. And so we have the reading where we look at our father in faith, Abraham. And we look at the sacrifice that the Lord asks of him, a sacrifice which is completely scandalous if it is not understood in the light of Christ's own passion and death. God comes and asks a father to sacrifice his son. Scandalous if we do not think of it in the light of what the father will do himself. He does not require that that sacrifice comes to its completion but he will not stop the sacrifice of his own son for our sake. 
And so right from Abraham, we have that beautiful prefiguration of the wonderful act and mystery of the Paschal mystery, which we now celebrate. Then what we have is after we have looked at the, if you will, the form, the exterior form of what the sacrifice is, the sacrifice of a father offering up his son, then we see its wonderful effects in the next readings. We move after Abraham to Exodus and God delivering his people from slavery as it represents how the Lord through the sacrifice of Christ will liberate us from our slavery to the devil and to sin. But the effects of Christ's grace do not only stop there with the liberation from sin, but also it is a liberation so that we might be united with God. And so the fourth reading then comes in, and the fourth reading speaks from the prophet Isaiah of the union of the bride with the bridegroom, a restoration of that union between God himself and his people. So we see all of the wonderful things which will happen through the sacrifice of Christ. And then after we've looked at those things, we move into the fifth reading. And that speaks of how we might obtain the graces of Christ's passion and death. And it's very mysterious in that reading because it says, come, pay without money, buy without cost. It's a very strange phrasing. It shows that what we obtain actually has a price to it, but mysteriously it's not a price that we pay. It's a price that has been paid for us through Christ. And then after that reading, where we read of the one who will pay the price for us, it moves in the sixth reading to what should we seek? And in that reading it says, seek wisdom. Seek wisdom. Let that be the sole desire and object of our life, to seek wisdom, because that is to seek Christ. But it is also, as the scriptures tell us, what is the wisdom of God? It is the cross. It is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the wisdom of God. And so the sixth reading is already orienting us towards the wisdom of God made manifest in the suffering of Christ in his passion, death, and in his crucifixion. And then in the seventh reading, we see who actually accomplishes this work. In the seventh reading from the prophet Ezekiel, we can see that the Lord is addressing his people who are scattered, they are idolatrous, they profane his holy name, they do everything contrary to their dignity as the people of God. And yet, it says, I will draw them back. I will wash them clean. And the Lord says, I will give you a new heart. He is the one who will accomplish all of this. This is his work of cleansing his bride, his people. This is the beautiful work that has been accomplished through the Savior. And then we move into the epistle of St. Paul. And he tells how all of this will be accomplished in us that we must die with Christ so that we can then be raised with him. We die with Christ so that we can be raised with him. We participate in his passion so that we can share in his resurrection. The entirety of that beautiful Paschal mystery then is where we then now step into the gospel today, tonight. 
we arrive at this very profound scene as all of this wonderful work of God has now been accomplished, but they do not yet know it. It's still dark. And so it says, toward the dawn, it's still dark. You can see the love that animates these two figures, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. The law and the terms of the liturgy and their laws of their faith would say that they were not allowed to act until a certain time. And so they are obedient to those laws. But as soon as the law lets them go, we see that with love they burst forth, even before the sun has risen. They now rush in love simply to be where the beloved is. They just want to be close to Christ. And so they burst forth in love, but also in pain and in sorrow. They have witnessed the suffering and the death of Christ on the cross as they stood at his feet and watched him die. They stood outside the tomb and they watched the stone get rolled in front of the tomb, closing off that final moments of the Lord's passion and death and sealing it in terms of its reality. They've experienced all the profound sorrow of that death and in that sorrow, they still come in their love to be close to Jesus. And as they arrive, it says, behold, there was a great earthquake. The obstacle to them being able to look into the tomb is about to be removed. We can see that there are many different figures, just as there was at the cross, so also now at the sepulcher. There are those who are guarding the sepulcher, and they are there without faith. But now what we have is these persons of love drawing close to the tomb. The two women, but also the angel of God. Two of them come from earth, one of them comes from heaven. In this great mystery now, because Christ's passion and death has united both. And so now you have an interaction between heaven and earth, between these persons, a conversation which is now opened up because of Christ's passion and death. He has opened these means of communication by which heaven is open to us. And so this angel descends, glorious, radiant, white, an angel of the resurrection, if you will. And he rolls back the stone and he sits upon it. One of the commentators sets, says he sits upon it as a bishop, if you will, sits upon the cathedral, the chair. And he proclaims the great mystery of the resurrection, the truth of the proclamation of that mystery. He sits on what had previously been an obstacle and it is simply rolled away by God's power. And his appearance was like lightning. And it says, for fear of him, the guards trembled. What's interesting to note, one of the commentators points out, is that the guards, because they are earthly, they act as the earth acts. The earth trembles in an earthquake and so also they are trembling whereas the women are more of heaven and of love. And so they are not filled with, with that trembling, but rather with joy at the proclamation of the resurrection of Christ. The angel then says to the woman, do not you be afraid. It's particular to them, not to the guards. Do not you be afraid. Why? Because I know that you seek Jesus. Their whole orientation their hearts are fixed on the Lord, and that is why they should not be afraid. He says, he is not here. 
he is risen. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And so they rush off. And when they are rushing off, the Lord comes and meets them and they fall down and they latch on to his feet. And he says to them, do not be afraid. Now we know that the Lord has said also, we know through scripture, that love is what casts out fear. Love is what casts out fear. And we know that the Lord is not only truth, but he is also love. And so because he is present to them, fear should rightly be cast out, just as darkness is cast out because he is the light, and error is cast out because he is the truth. And these women, they cling to his feet, they grasp him. What's interesting to note is that there are many verbs in this, in this gospel passage. There is a lot of action, going, coming, falling down, worshiping, rushing, running. We know that one of the signs of life is spontaneous movement. Things that move themselves are said to be alive. And so as life has now begun in the resurrection, truly, we see all of this beautiful, profound movement. We also see that these same verbs were used in the passion of Christ, but with a different intention. They also came seeking Jesus, but remember, they sought him to arrest him. They also grasped Jesus in his passion, but not because of love, but because of hatred, so that they might take him and lock him away. But now with the resurrection, we can see all of these verbs have been changed and transformed. Now it is no longer hatred that motivates these actions, but love. The woman come with love to the tomb. They cling to Jesus because of love. Now for us, this great mystery is accomplished here. Here, as we step now into the liturgy of the Eucharist, the resurrected Christ himself who appeared to the woman on that road will be here with us on this altar. That same resurrected Jesus Christ will then also come to us and we will be able to cling to him in love in the moment of Holy Communion. Not only clinging to his feet, but the whole Christ. We will be able to keep him with us as they desired to keep him with them. All they wanted was to keep the beloved with them. It is a fulfillment of that wonderful line from the Song of Songs, chapter three, verse four. I found him whom my soul loves. I held him and I would not let him go. That should be our beautiful prayer whenever we receive Holy Communion. I have found him whom my soul loves and I held him and would not let him go. Amen. <laughs>